For pretty much everybody in cannabis except seed makers, male cannabis plants are a scourge. For breeders, male cannabis plants are a joyful thing and essential to the advancement of cannabis genetics and the creation of regular seed. But for nearly all hobby, medical, and commercial growers, though, males are a pain in the ass. If you find a male in your garden too late, he will pollinate your entire crop and decrease its potency and ease of smoking because the flowers will all be full of seeds. Feminized seeds play an important role in cannabis nowadays. Feminized means that just about every seed will produce a female plant. For home growers, it means less room wasted on plants that will eventually show that they are male. And for commercial growers, it means less risk of pollen in their fields. If you want to learn about cannabis health, business, and technique efficiently and with good cheer, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. We'll send you new podcast episodes as they come out, delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week and videos too. Don't rely on social media to let you know when a new episode is published. Sign up for the updates to make sure you don't miss an episode. Also, we're giving away very cool prizes to folks who are signed up to receive the newsletter. There's nothing else you need to do to win except receive that newsletter. So go to shapingfire.com to sign up for the newsletter and be entered into this month's and all future newsletter prize drawings. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I'm your host, Shango Los. Today, my guest is Caleb Inspecta from CSI Humboldt. Caleb and his family have lived in Humboldt County for over 100 years. For the last 40 years, three generations of his family have cultivated extraordinary sensimia cannabis in Humboldt, Mendocino, and Trinity Counties. Caleb reaches way back and works with significant strains, recreating them in new and interesting ways. Today, we're going to talk with him about modern feminized seeds. Welcome to the show, Caleb. Good to be here. Right on, man. So let's start by getting a little better understanding of the tech, uh, the terminology we're going to use today. Because, you know, when most people are talking about the kinds of seeds we're going to talk about today, a lot of people just use the words feminized. But, you know, the more I study it and the more I listen to people who actually breed feminized seeds, uh, more of them use the term selfed. And, and, you know, then people are talking about S1 seeds, their first generation of FEMS. And, and on your seed packets, they say S1. So um, would you kind of get us all on the same page by talking about the difference in terminology between feminized seeds and selfed seeds and what that all means? Well, basically, selfed only refers to S1s, which is a plant crossed to itself. Um, feminized seeds is generally it encompasses self as well but it also covers all the feminized hybrids when you know say for example you reverse one female and you cross it to you know x y and z female those are all feminized you know hybrids Mm -hmm. you you don't refer to um the hybrids as self or you know s1s obviously um you you only refer to the the individual you know plant that was selfed onto itself as selfed. I see. So so you know a cross for a selfed seed would be, for example, chem dog by chem dog versus exactly. versus chem dog versus whatever else you're gonna um, cross it with. Yep. All right. Exactly. So I see. So so um, so S ones or selfs are actually a subset of this bigger tent that is feminized seeds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, go ahead. And you you know to add to that, um, feminized seeds got a bad rep early on because the the self while they might be the closest best um, example of a particular plant, you know just 
crossing it to itself, there's a lot of inbreeding going on in that. And so anywhere from 40 to 60% of those seeds, generally I just say 50%, are going to be inbred and just kind of throwaway plants. Whereas with the hybrids, you you get the same hybrid vigor from a feminized hybrid as you do from a normal hybrid. So, you know, people kind of misconstrued the whole self thing with feminized seeds in general when that wasn't even a fact. Right on. Cool. So I want to talk more about the, the early days of feminized and the bad reputation. But before we leave uh, S1s and self seeds, mm-hmm. when, when, you, when you self a seed um, uh, or when you self a plant, you're mm-hmm. doing that to, you know, one expression of one pheno of that mm-hmm. line. Will, will the seeds produced by selfing a plant um, give you snapshots of all the phenos available in that line? or will they all be that exact pheno of the plant you're selfing? Oh, you will rarely get the exact plant. It's basically going to encompass all the genetics contained in the DNA of that plant. And depending on how stable that plant is, it can be you know, fairly tight to extremely broad. Um, a lot of people think they're going to get an exact replica of the mother, and that's not true at all you're going to get everything from the absolute worst inbred genetic that that DNA contains, you know, in the recessive traits Mm -hmm. to the absolute best, which oftentimes in S1s, you find stuff that's way better than the mother plant that was selfed in the first place. Wow, right on. So so what I'm gathering from that is, you know, when you buy a pack of S1s, um, that's really a pack for somebody who is planning on, you know, digging, breeding, or looking for phenos. It's not necessarily, you know, a stabilized pack that somebody would buy um, because they want they want they want to know what they're going to get. Right? With S ones, you really don't know what you're going to get. If you if you're going to buy a pack of seven or ten seeds, um, you may have you know seven or ten different expressions of the line. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, right on. Okay, good. All right, so then let's let's jump back to the bad reputation that feminized seeds have had for a long time. So, mm-hmm. so because I work so much with uh, patients, you know, I realized early on how useful feminized seeds can be for patients, because mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, they're, they're, it's so sad to see a patient pop ten seeds, and you know, you know, if you're gonna pop. 100 or more seeds, you, you are probably going to generally see 50-50 male and female. But at, at, at such mm-hmm. a small number of, of 10, you could get any ratio uh, statistically. And, and, and occasionally you'll, you'll find a, you know, a pa- or, you know, 10 seeds and you'll get like six or seven males. And for, you know, oh, for yeah. a breeder, that would be fun. But for, for a patient, they're like, oh, my God, I, 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 all my resources and all this soil and all this space I just used for, you know, these six or seven males that I'm going to call. And so when I realized that, oh, my God, we could just get these people into feminized seeds and all 10 will be females. I'm like, hell, yeah, like I'm, I, I want this. But but as I told people I was getting into this, you know, folks were like, oh, man, feminized seeds like suck and they don't have the vigor and they herm on me and all this, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And. And, and but then if you ask them if you like really kind of drill down, you find out that either a they haven't tried a feminized seed in years, or b <laughs> like they heard it from their bro, 
you know? Right, and, right. And so, you know, give us a little context, if you will, about, you know, the how feminized seeds have gotten better, you know, since they started showing up in the scene and, and what your thoughts are on today's fem seeds versus the, the stuff that were people were originally popping. I think a lot of people were really focused on just the S1s early on. And so they had a lot of those recessive inbred genetics uh, coming out. And so when you popped your films, you ended up with, you know, like I said, about 50% just weak inbred plants. Well, when folks started realizing, well, wait, you need to, you know, make, you know, hybrids of it, then you you get this, you know, that, that vigor back. And then of course, uh, the, the Herm thing, it, it, it's definitely valid. I mean, unfortunately, you know, in, in today's, you know, cannabis landscape, uh, the, most of the popular stuff is a result of no selection and, you know, just, you know, hermaphrodite plant onto hermaphrodite plant you know and so on and so on and so you definitely you know will get a certain percentage of hermaphrodites in feminized seeds but that also depends on um their environment you know Mm -hmm. in indoors it's it's going to be higher um you know outdoors you know most of the times it's going to be non-existent you know unless you really, really stress something out or the genetics that, you know, the fem, fem seeds were based on were really prone to hermaphroditing. So what's the variable between indoor and outdoor that causes the, the herming more indoors? You know, I don't know. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I honestly, uh, you know, um, I mean, indoors, we're we're putting such extreme stress on a plant, you know, taking it out, out of its natural environment, you know, exposing it to this, that, the other. Um, a lot of times, you know, light leaks, you know. Yeah. I mean, not everybody has just, you know, light, tight rooms. So something as simple as that, you know, easy to, you know, stress something out. And and I would also think that, you know, since so much of this reputation is built on forum posts, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're indoors, you are stressing a plant, you know, like an Olympian, you know, it's a, it's it's healthy and thriving, but it is under stress, um, even at its best, right at the, the best run room. And, you know, the majority of people are not running, you know, like put together rooms. And so, so just about everybody is taking a plant that is already stressed and then, and then stressing it out more by, you know, changing their inputs or, you know, their power goes out or whatever, whatever. And so, um, so you've got that, that added challenge indoors as well. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, uh, I, I, I've always, I've always thought that the roots are kind of the core to, you know, whether a plant will hermaphrodite or not. And indoors, you're, most people are generally using smaller pots, mm-hmm. you know, three gallons, five gallons, whatever, you know, compared to, you know, outdoors where you're using 20, 100, 200 galloners. And when you keep the roots happy, you know, the whole plant is happy. I think that's true with everything, right? Yeah. You know, so 
um, indoors, you know, you got those small root balls. It's easy to just, you know, tilt them one way or the other to make them unhappy. I mean, too dry, too wet, too much nutrient, too little nutrient, you know, anything like that, you know, too cold, too hot. It goes on and on. But any of those extremes, you know, are going to, you know, change change that plant's, uh, you know. Yeah, how it's going to express itself because, you know, you piss, exactly. off, you piss off that rhizosphere and suddenly it's sending all these different messages up the plant. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so the other thing, too, you mentioned is like, you know, a lot of people are just looking to, well, all right, I guess that's not fair. I was going to say a lot of people are just looking to make money in seeds. And that's certainly true. Mm-hmm. But there's, mm-hmm. there's also people who are in it who are just rookies, right? And, right. and, and, and they don't really have maybe the space or the experience to do the kind of sifts that you do. I mean, we, we all see like, the the way people put out seeds right now where they're like okay i got i got one male and i'm gonna hit it to the 10 hot strains in my area and i'm just gonna rush that stuff out and you you know that stuff you know has not been sifted properly and and probably not even tested right they're just running them out the door while it's hot And, and and so to that degree i think that what you're saying probably applies to fem seeds the same way it applies to reg seeds where hey man there's good fems on the market and there's you know sketchy fems on the market so know your freaking breeder oh absolutely absolutely no not only know your breeder but know your genetics you know because i mean you can you can give a dozen different breeders the same exact cut and they're going to be playing with the same exact you know potential that same variability, that same, you know, you know, possibility of oops, everything that comes out of that cut's going to be a hermaphrodite, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and that's <laughs> that's where the bad <laughs> reputation comes from and and really ruins right. your run, yeah. So, um, so you mentioned a, a little bit earlier about how the, you know, the 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 fems have got the same uh, vigor. Um, mm-hmm. as, as a reg version of it is. And, you know, I, I often hear people kind of get confused uh, who, who don't know a lot about the breeding side because they get them kind of confused with autos, right? Because mm-hmm. with, with autos, which I'm also a fan of, um, mm-hmm. you, you get these, um, you know, you get whatever the, let, let's take like a, an auto Girl Scout cookies, for example. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so people go, go, all right, well, that's not really, like Girl Scout cookies anymore. That's actually a new chemovar. That's Girl Scout cookies crossed with a ruderalis plant from Siberia, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so you you are definitely taking a step away from the original phenotypical package of any particular um, uh, chemovar. But if I, you know, the way I understand it, that is not the case with fems because you're not, you know, you know, you, you, you will either get the, the full package of an S1 of that one plant, or if, if you're going to hybridize it to another one, you're going to get, you know, the uh, essentially clean phenos of, of those two plants together, but there isn't a third plant added to the mix like in autos which is bringing in all these like kind of wild rudy genetics from russia and so 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 fems really should be just like um you would expect the the reg version to be mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah 
so so let's let's get to the the heart of that you know that query because most people don't understand where fems come from period right um mm-hmm. and and that's where a lot of the confusion comes from so um would you kind of go through how feminized seeds are made you know people you know you ask a lot of people and they'll give you one of two answers they'll either say oh don't you like dump colloidal silver on them and then the <laughs> other folks you know refer to matt riot's fem spray right <laughs> and so so um uh, this is the part of it that i'm least familiar with as well so will you kind of just talk about the the various ways of getting to feminized seeds well <clears throat> basically i've always um, used uh, STS, so um, silver thiosulfate. And, you know, what a lot of people don't realize, this might be a little bit of a tangent, but what a lot of people don't realize is it's not that easy. I mean, I've got buddies who have tried to reverse, you know, 20, 30 plants and have never had a successful reversal where they got seeds you know, or let alone even pollen hmm. from their reverse plants. Um, why, and, is, why is that? I mean, what's the failure point? Uh, you know, if, if I knew, I'd, I'd share. <laughs> right on. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm good buddies with, with uh, Matt Riot, and I mean, you know, we, 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 we chat a, about this same topic quite often, and, you know, it, it's not unusual for me to have a failed reversal run. It's not unusual for him, you know, to have a failed one. Um, and I mean, I've used his spray. Um, I've all generally, I've always used my spray, but I've you know tried his spray, and I've also tried uh, my other buddy uh, Hybe, his Hybertech spray, and it, it it's really variable on what works, when it works, and you know, how well it works. Um, yeah, it's, it's not an exact science. That's for, that's for sure. Right on. So do you, do you think that, you know, and I know, I know that I'm asking you to guess here cause you already said you don't know for sure, but do you think that, um, do you think that it probably has more to do with how a particular plant's genetics accepts it? Or do you think it's about method and people are just not doing it right? It definitely has, a lot to do with the individual plants. Mm-hmm. Um, certain people, absolutely, it's got to be method because, you know, if if you can't reverse, you know, twenty plus plants, there's something going on that's not quite right in their method, I'd imagine. But, um, you know, I've, I've I've successfully done you know plenty of reversals, and sometimes you get tons of pollen, tons of seeds blah, blah, blah. And other times you get no pollen. And sometimes you get loads of pollen and almost no seed. So, you know, it's just like, huh, I don't get this. But, you know, I I don't claim to be an expert, but I'm I'm a, a very active student. Right on, right on, and, and an artisan as well. Um, right. So I'm going to ask. I'm going to want to go uh, more into uh, the STS, but before we like go past it, mm-hmm. um, will you address the colloidal silver thing? Is this just an outmoded method? Okay, so I'm more of a. I'm I'm fairly busy. Let's put it that way, and with colloidal silver, that reversal method 
you essentially have to spray and spray and spray. I think you have to spray every day. And honestly, that just doesn't work with, you know, my style or my workload. And so I need something where, you know, I only have to spray it, you know, one time, maybe twice, and I'm good. So that's, you know, why I go with the STS. And, you know, lately I've just been spraying the one time, you know, when I trigger that reversal plant. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was using colloidal, I'd have to spray every single day that plant. And that's a lot of spraying. Yeah, for sure. Well, so what do you think about its reliability? So let's say that, you know, we've got a home grower who wants to make, you know, some reversed, uh, who wants to reverse their plant, but they only have four plants they need to worry about and spraying every day is easy. You know, do, do, does it have the same, um, quality of results or likelihood of success as using STS? If you've got that time, if you've got that time, I know plenty of people who have, you know, had good success with that. Um, you know, it's a lot of, you know, hobbyist type work. Yeah. You know, you gotta, oftentimes, um, you've, you've got to kind of make it yourself. Right. Um, basically just from raw silver. Um, and yeah, I've, I've never entertained that much time. <laughs> right on. Fair you enough. Know. Fair enough. So, um, so what, what I'd like to do right now is, would you take us through step by step? You know, you don't, you don't have to, you know, be overly elaborate, but, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, would you walk us through what you're doing with the STS spray that causes the feminized seeds? If you could just break it down to steps so that people who really want to picture it in their head, what, it, what did it looks like, or maybe they're actually looking for actionable information because they want to go and try this. Well, just, mm-hmm. just break it out for us, would you? I'll do my best. All right. Thank you. <laughs> um, basically, uh, you're spraying some form of silver on your plants, whether it's colloidal silver or silver thiosulfate, and you spray it on your target female, and the silver acts as a ethylene inhibitor, and the ethylene is what you know makes your plant female. So by inhibiting the ethylene production, you are essentially uh, changing the hormone balance, I guess, in the plant to exhibit, you know, a male. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if if all goes well with your spray and your timing and everything, then uh, your, your male, your reversed female, male plant, will, uh, will give you pollen uh, roughly in four to six weeks from the time you first spray. So this, this plant that we just sprayed with the STS, our goal with that plant is just to get male flowers to be produced. Um, and then we will collect that pollen and then hit that to a second plant. We're not, Mm -hmm. so the idea isn't, necessarily that oh we want the plant to have both male and female flowers and then self-pollinate no we're talking we're talking about we want to force this female plant to make pollen so we can take her and hit something else oh yeah right although although some people do uh 
do individual branch spraying on a plant and then they can take it'll only reverse the one branch and uh and it'll pollinate you know you can pollinate the rest of the plant that hasn't been sprayed yeah that's the only way i've ever seen it actually and so the idea of doing um a whole plant and collecting a pollen sounds like it'd be a hell of a lot easier (laughs) than than going branch by branch I, i mean me personally uh when i do my reversals I'm I'm generally reversing four to eight um, plants that are they generally finish out at about three to five feet tall and you know two to three feet around. So I'm I'm reversing some pretty big plants, but I'm also pollinating you know good sized rooms as well. So I need a lot of a lot of pollen, and uh, a lot of people don't know, but you do not get even remotely close to as much pollen from a reverse plant as you do a regular male plant. So that's why you need the, you definitely need them. Cause like normally a, a, a male pollen, a male plant giving off pollen, there's a hell of a lot of pollen in there. And uh-huh. so that's why you have to do multiple. So, so if you're going to be doing four or six of these, um, are you, are you doing your best to make sure that these females are either, you know, from, the same pheno of seed or are you taking one primary mother making clones of her so they are all the same pheno and then and then reversing that the majority of plants i reverse are all just heirloom cuts Mm -hmm. you know so yeah they're they're all all the same cuttings and uh one other thing i i i do is um i stagger them because in early on i i had plenty of failed runs and when I'm trying to reverse and pollinate a room and half the time it was because, um, the reversal plant either dropped pollen too early and missed the window or it dropped pollen too late and missed the window. And I'd get, you know, a 10% seated room, which that doesn't really help me or anybody out, (laughs) you know? And so, um, nowadays what I do is, is I'll pollinate, I'll, I'll reverse, I'll reverse a female, you know, a week or two in advance of flowering the rest of the room out, then I'll, then I'll do a, you know, a couple more, um, at the trigger date. And then, you know, um, and I'll also use different, different, uh, different STS products, diff- different STS concentrations, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. so you're, you're trying a variety so that somewhere in the mean of this, somewhere in the middle, everybody mm-hmm. will get the particular combination it needs since everybody's yeah. so finicky. Yeah. It's just a, you know, trying, trying to, uh, circumvent failure. Yeah. Yeah. Better your odds a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah. so clearly if these reversed plants produce less pollen and everybody in the room is more finicky, um, mm-hmm. this of course increases the value of each, uh, bit of pollen and, um, you know, storing pollen can really be a bitch and, mm. uh, it goes bad so easily. Do you find, uh, you know, it, how, in your process, are you collecting the pollen and saving it? Or are you all like, you know, Oh no, I'm just going to put you all in the same room and, um, and it's going to happen live without any, uh, saving of the pollen. I, I always do it live. I've, I, I would love to, you know, have faith in saving it. But just like you said, you know, I don't have trust for saving the pollen. So, 
it, it, it would it would be pretty miserable to be like, I got this room and, you know, throw a ton of pollen out there and you get 17 seeds, you know? Yeah, totally. And, and where I was going with that is that it was, do you have a... A, a pollen storage technique that you trust? And I'm thinking the answer is no. I've never even bothered to store pollen. Yeah. Right on, right on. So I should, I should, <laughs> but you know, it, it just is one of the things that I haven't gotten into. Right on. And, and like you said earlier, like it's something that you can do with all that extra time you've got. Right, right, right. I wish, right? Yeah, right, right. All right, cool. Well, with that, let's uh, let's go ahead and take our first uh, commercial break. Uh, you are listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is Caleb Inspecta from CSI Humboldt. As a listener of Shaping Fire, you already understand the importance of living soil when growing cannabis. When you have active microbe communities in your substrate, you go way beyond simply fertilizing with nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Having active microorganisms in your substrate supports vigorous plant growth throughout the plant's root zone, making for higher yields and thriving flowers. Mammoth pea is the first organically derived microbial inoculant that focuses on your plant's nutrient cycling processes to release soil phosphorus and other micronutrients from their bound forms, making them more available to the plant. Increased levels of phosphorus will also keep inner nodes shorter and focus your plant's energy on bud production. Not only that, but the microbes act as a defense shield for the plant's rhizosphere by outcompeting potentially harmful pathogenic microbes. Pretty cool, right? Mammoth pea not only unlocks the nutrients in your soil, but it also helps protect your plant from disease. Mammoth pea's beneficial bacteria act like microbioreactors, continually producing enzymes that release nutrients. Mammoth pea was developed at a U.S. university and has been extensively tested by Colorado growers and independent laboratories. Mammoth pea is proven to increase growth and enhance blooming. One of the great things about supplementing with microorganisms is that they won't compete with whatever fertilizer program you're already running. Simply dose on top of your fertilizer schedule for increased benefits. To learn more and to find out where you can buy Mammoth Pea near you, check out their website at www.mammothmicrobes.com. Partner with microorganisms to create beautiful, thriving cannabis. Mammoth Pea. Growing cannabis in greenhouses is taking over the cannabis industry. An efficient and effective blend of sunshine-grown terpene profiles and the controlled environment of indoor, greenhouses can be the best of both worlds. For many greenhouse operators, though, building their greenhouse before gaining insight into how cannabis greenhouses differ from ornamental crops can be the start of a world of hurt. Eric Brandstad and his team at Greenhouse Advisory Group have the experience and technical know-how to help you avoid these pitfalls. Eric Brandstad has been helping cannabis growers find locations, design, build, and equip their greenhouses for over a decade, first starting in Northern California, but expanding over the last five years to helping clients throughout the world. He has an impeccable reputation for both depth of knowledge and kindness in communication. You can hear Eric explain some of the challenges facing cannabis greenhouses and how to overcome them in episode number 41 of the Shaping Fire podcast. No matter where I go in the country, good people with smart backgrounds still are making the mistake of building without knowing cannabis, and it causes them to burn through capital and time fast. Everyone has their own failure point. For some, it is improper ventilation planning. For others, it is surface temperatures of the building or the plant's leaves or both. 
Some folks that build their greenhouse from scratch make really basic errors like placement of the greenhouse on the property or not understanding the natural environment where the greenhouse sits. Some have even built a decent greenhouse but are inefficient in their deployment of light deprivation techniques and never really hit their target yields. It's great when you learn from your mistakes, but it's even better when you learn from the mistakes of others. When you bring on Greenhouse Advisory Group, you will learn from the mistakes of their many clients, and you'll take advantage of the best practices developed by Eric Brandstad over his years of working with clients just like you. From location development to choosing a builder and tricking out your new greenhouse or retrofitting or rescuing your failing greenhouse, Eric will help you through it. Visit GreenhouseAdvisoryGroup.com to learn more and connect with Eric and his team. That's Greenhouse Advisory Group. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is Caleb Inspecta from CSI Humboldt. So during the first set, we talked a lot generally about feminized seeds and what they are and what they aren't. Um, but during the second set, Caleb, I want to talk more about um, your particular approach to to you know building uh, feminized seeds. You know, uh, the great interview that you did with Kevin Jodry at Wonderland Nursery during the Wonderland Seed Series, um, you know, Kevin definitely made the suggestion that you do significant seed sifts, right? You are you are very active in popping a lot of seeds, and you put a lot of thought into your choices, which you know I wish would I wish that would, a lot more people were doing that. But um, would you know to give people an idea of you know, how to sift and what a sift looks like. Would you just kind of walk us through what you typically do when you're, when you're hunting for the keepers? So generally, um, from every, uh, reversal, I'll usually sprout anywhere from 200 to 500 seeds. And a lot of them, um, are, you know, just, uh, feminized hybrids. I'll also, you know, run out the S1s as well. Um, the S1s I usually do separate, and those are usually in 100 lots or 200 lots. But uh, for the feminized ones, I, I just like to, you know, get a good idea of everything that's contained in, you know, in the seeds I sell. And, you know, just see how things combine. And usually, you know, the, the, the funnest part is, you know, watching them all grow, uh, selecting, selecting out, you know, your, your favorite, your terpenes and, you know, all, all, all your favorite plants out of them. And then of course at the end, you know, um, you gotta go through and sample and figure out really which ones, you know, make it from your, your, your favorite growing plants to your favorite smoking plants. Um, it's, it's, it's a big process. <clears throat> so when you are, so like, let's talk about like what your call points are, right? So, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. the first call probably happens naturally. The ones that just straight up don't germinate. You're like, okay, those, those aren't, those genetics are, are not going to be part of it. And right. then, uh, I'm assuming that you probably do another call just for, you know, mediocre plants that aren't really thriving. Right. Um, and, but, but when do you start, what's your first call for, plants that are not obviously failing, right? The ones that fail, they're, they're out of the mix. But, but, but how soon do you start saying that plant doesn't look or isn't expressing self in a way that I want to keep? You, you know, and, and this, this is something that a lot of people do, I think. Um, for one, 
I usually have a pretty high germ rate, so I usually have between 98 and 99% germ. So I'm not having a big cull um, as far as, you know, just, you know, seeds that don't sprout. Um, and I rarely kill a plant. Hmm. Um, I, I like to see every single plant, you know, go start to finish. No matter how small of a runt it is, you know, no matter how weak it looks. Because honestly, some of the best plants I've ever come across have been these little weak, runty, just, you know, weirdo plants. Um, now, are they going to be great for breeding? Probably not. You know, usually you're not going to forward them, but I still like to give them a chance and see what they have. I've seen tons of breeders who, you know, think that, you know, they can cull at the seedling stage or think they can cull, you know, in early veg and they're making their decisions. They're mostly making their decisions on structure and, you know, vigor. Which, you know, for certain things that's great, but, you know, for a final finished product, that has nothing to do with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And and there could totally be something in one of these runts. Let's say that it's a runt, but you're like, oh my gosh, it's got this terpene profile that's out of the world. If you would have culled it early, you wouldn't have smelled that. And, and mm-hmm. now you know to look for it elsewhere in the sift. But also, you know, if it's an attribute that you particularly think is badass, maybe you're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that plant and do something with it to maybe help it not express as a runt, but also keep that terpene or whatever variable right right exactly so you know to to grow out that many plants that's a lot of freaking space so are you um do you run them in one gallons or you know or shorter oh no 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 uh, I, I i predominantly just use uh you know uh raised beds mm-hmm. so um my beds are four foot by four foot by about one foot deep and I'll generally run anywhere from 16 plants in a bed to 81 plants. I mean, it, it, that's it, really close. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just did a a, a little last year. Uh, I did a run where I had either 72 or 81 uh, chem dog hybrids in every single bed, wow. and it, I mean, I had probably less than a 10% drown out. I mean, most everything in those beds, you know, finished up just perfectly fine, didn't get drowned out. And I got a, you know, sizable sample of each one to, you know, make my assessments and judgments on. So when you run them that close, uh, are you mm-hmm. doing a lot of deleafing or are you leaving them just as the seed intended so you can actually find the ones that are leafier and less leafier? Um. It, it definitely varies, but I will. I have no problems kind of uh, taking off the the fan leaves. You know, I don't like overdoing it, but I won't. You know, let them overlap and just completely. You know, over overload a bed with leaves. So um, definitely a lot of cleanup on the underneaths, um, and also uh, I don't know if this is the right part to throw this in, but I always make sure about. You know, two weeks into flower, I uh, two to two and a half weeks. Let's put it that way. Um, 
I'll clean up all the lowers. I won't clean them up early just because I want to see what type of um, herm expressions uh, the plants put on. And you won't see that until two to three weeks into flower. So, you know, I leave all that undergrowth on them un until that time. And then I clean them all up and I check every single plant. And you'll be able to see, you know, any any herm troubles. And a lot of times, you know, um, you know, these plants will have maybe like one ball here or, you know, um, just a couple balls per plant. Mm -hmm. Um, most of them generally aren't, you know, um, don't have any. And then very few are really bad herms. I usually see, uh, a really bad herm indoors, um, maybe one or two per hundred plants, hmm. you know. And um, when they are herming like that indoors, um, mm -hmm. you know, obviously you are checking them constantly, right? Because this is this is what you do. But are, are they a threat to the rest of your crop? No, not generally. I mean, basically, I'm not checking them constantly at all. I check them in that window of two to two and a half weeks into flower. And that's going to be the window where they will be visible. They'll be expressing, um, but they won't be dropping pollen and sabotaging your room. And so as long as you check your plants at that time, you know, it doesn't matter if you're doing reg seeds, if you're doing feminized seeds, you know, hell, it doesn't even matter if you're doing clones from the dispensary or whatever. I mean, you know, it, it should be, you know, a prerequisite that you check your plants in that window, you know, and make sure, you know, otherwise you get what you get. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, all right. So, so you're, you're doing this sift of a few hundred plants mm -hmm. and uh, you are looking for the particular traits that you want for that run. So, you know, and I know you grow a lot of different types of plants for, for different expressions and, and honestly how you express your craft too, right? They're mm -hmm. not, you're, mm -hmm. you, you have a pretty wide variety, the kinds of seeds that, that you like to make. So, oh, yeah. so let's say that, so you've gone through the sift um, are you trying to find, you know, your two favorites that you think will have create the best seeds among those two or are, or are you going to do this cycle several times and cross and recross so that you can pull out multiple traits that you want? Like, do you have to commit to two at this point or, or are you actually going to commit to, you know, four to six and then work with those and bring those down to your final, you know, pair that you're going to bring to the market? Honestly, um, I, I make selections, but I rarely end up keeping them for very long just because I grow so much, so, so many different things out. And I always just, just, you know, for me personally, I always save the mother stock versus any hybrids. So most of the time the hybrids, even if they're just absolutely amazing, you know, they end up going by the wayside just to make sure my mother stock is, you know, happy and healthy and has plenty of room. Um, the, the predominant, um, sifting I do for keepers is in the S1 stock where um, that that's actually going to be the second phase of my company because I don't remake any of uh, any of these hybrids in general. I'm 
and I'm only making, uh, I'm only reversing them and making the seeds. So I have S1 stock to go through and refine the S1s, you know, into, you know, exactly the direction I want to go in. Mm -hmm. And so the second uh, phase of my company is going to be um, to make ever, all these S2 lines. And then from there, you know, I think I'll go to S3. S3 might be the limit. I think that's where you're just going to get too much inbreeding past that, but you'll be able to have, you know, as refined as you need for like future hybrids. Um, you're like, so I, it's like you're, it's that. So by going to S2 and S3, you're essentially making a very stable, libraryable seed stock that you can put on ice and know if you, if you want to call on that, you know, that genetic line again in, you know, six or 10 or 12 years that you've got it encapsulated from this work. Absolutely. But also, um, that, that stock say, say I have 10 different things that are in that S2, S3 form. Well, I can start making true feminized, uh, F ones, you know, mm -hmm. because each, when each line is, you know, just rock solid and stable, then you, you combine those together and you're going to have something completely different than, you know, that original F1 where it's just, you know, say a, a Mendo purple times a purple Urkel. You know, if you work both those lines, you know, for multiple generations on their own and then, you know, create stable on both sides and then cross them together, it's going to create something way different than just that original mother times mother. You know. Yeah, talking about that that S one variability. You know, I can imagine that a, a hobby grower who wants to get, you know, a bunch of plants that are similar. You know, all right, phenotypically different, but reliable. You know, they wouldn't want an S one because there's so much noise in the in the line. But I would mm -hmm. think that as you know, for those of us who are cannabis plant nerds, right, who just love to mm -hmm. see all her expressions, right, that right. that 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 packing popping S ones, even though there'll be losers in there, you know, a lot of them. Um, I think that that would be really fun, just for the joy of like getting all these what the fuck plants. Like, oh my god, what what is this? Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, I I, I love S ones. S ones um, are are. I don't think there's a single S1 line I've run yet that hasn't just been a pleasure, you know? Well, that's a, that, that, that that's a good recommendation. So, right. so, so while we're talking about all the, 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 the weird, the weirdness of it and the, and the things that are in the, the hidden recesses of these genetic lines, you know, you know, you and I are both fans of feminized seeds and yet sometimes you know, some of the these ultra purists will say that they're they're not down with feminized seeds because they're they're unnatural and 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 anything that comes from stressing or forcing the plant is is you know an, an abomination, right? They may be useful, but it's not what nature intended. And <clears throat> I just like to hear what your thoughts are on the the, the potential unnaturalness of feminized seeds. <laughs> I'd like to ask these same people. Have they ever seen land races grown out? And have they ever seen a land race that isn't a hardcore hermaphrodite? Uh, most land races, 
that come from source, whether it's Afghanistan, Pakistan, Thailand, Colombia, wherever, you know, there are huge populations of hermaphrodites. So you can almost guarantee that you're going to, your, your little land race seeds you're getting are going to be part feminized and part regular and everything in between, you know? So, uh, and you know, one thing a lot of people don't even realize is there's tons of male hermaphrodites and most, most breeders, most anyone, it seems doesn't really realize, um, that, and males can produce seeds themselves when they're hermaphrodites. And what happens when a male produces its own seed is you get a portion that are pure male, you get a portion that are hermaphrodites, and you get a portion that are pure females. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> I, I but, like I like your response though. They're like for the people who think that that um, all of this, uh, all the all the noise in the seed is unnatural. Like you want really messy, go to actual nature. <laughs> exactly. You know, nature is as messy as it gets. So <laughs> thank you and you're welcome. Yeah, yeah, right on. So, <clears throat> so you know, uh, one of the things that, that you know, attracted me to your seeds when I was first getting turned on to you and your work was that um, – you you're you forging your own path right there mm -hmm. you you choose good genetics to start with mm -hmm. and then you have a vision of what you're looking for and you go for it and so you don't necessarily i mean certainly you you work with a lot of you know hot sexy named stuff right that's true but but you don't really seem to care first about what is popular you are you are following your art and your craft based on what is exciting you personally next. And so I'm curious um, what you look for when you are looking for starter genetics that tells you that this might be good for a feminized seed breeding run. I, I mean, honestly, most everything uh, up, uh, up until, you know up until recently anyway, that, you know, I've worked with for the feminized is just all old heirloom stock that I've held, you know, for years. And the people before me have held for years. I mean, you got, you know, Urkel. I mean, I've had that cut for, we're getting close to 20 years with it. You know, a snow, I've had that cut for 20 years, you know, um, you know, the chem dog, uh, I've had that for going on 15 years and, you know, that makes dates back all the way to, you know, 1991. Um, the triangle Kush, you know, it dates back to the early nineties as well, you know? Um, so I'm just working with stuff that I've held for a long, long time, minimum a decade, oftentimes, you know, multiple decades and, you know, things that have been around, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> for the long stretch, I yeah. haven't, I haven't really worked with anything that is, you know, just popular for its own thing. Um, if I've worked with stuff that's popular, uh, it's just, you know, it's just uh, stood the test of time. That's all that is. Is the reason why you're not necessarily working with the, 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 the hot trending stuff right now, simply because you like the older genetics that are, 
you know, they're 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 more refri- more refined more refined than a land race, but they've been worked a little bit to be stable without being boring. I I think um, it, it's just a, a a little bit of a personal issue with me too, though, where I I'm I know the history of the genetics, and I've watched how genetics have have moved over the last you know thirty years. And then I also know, you know, the history of the genetics, you know, going back further. And so everything that's really come out in the last 10, 15 years, I mean, I have pretty much all the building blocks or most of the building blocks that created all these things. I mean, you know, your Girl Scout cookies, you know, it's, it's just an OG Kush crossed with, yeah, probably not Derb, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know. I mean, a perfect example is when we ran out the Triangle Kush S1s, there were green phenotypes of essentially cookies in those plants. So basically all cookies is is an expression of of that green OG Kush, Triangle Kush um, plant crossed with a certain dominant purple strain. And honestly, the only plant that I've really ever seen that does the certain purpling that, you know, the the common form cut of cookies does, it's it's deep chunk, you know. Yeah. I mean, so the, these these guys, I mean, cookies was founded in Mendocino County, and the guys who are responsible for it, yay, cookies fam, go. Um, <laughs> they 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 aren't you know the most honest individuals when it comes to genetics and history right so i mean but you know uh weed nerds like myself you know obviously care a little bit more about that stuff yeah well, because you're not you're you're not worried primarily for marketing and ip or intellectual property right you actually want to get to the truth of the matter it's a it's a different goal Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. While we're while we're talking about um, uh, you know uh, strain histories and stuff and and how you like to use uh, local heirlooms, um, mm-hmm. you know I, I read a lot of and listened to a lot of your other interviews uh, to prepare for our interview today. And uh, do I remember correctly that the that the Humboldt snow that you use is a uh, is a purple Kush Kimavar? Okay, so. The Humboldt snow is a kind of a tricky one that I'm still um, working on tracking down um, the the full story on it. Um, for one, we we do know it came out of Eugene back in the mid '90s. Um, there were uh, there were stories I heard, you know, around Humboldt talking about blah blah blah, but then. I know a handful of, of cats who actually brought it down from Eugene in like 95, 96, something like that. And I got the cut in, I think, 99. Um, well, there's a story up in Eugene how it was um, just a selection of four-way. But, you know... Some of the some some of my boys have been talking to the, the cats kind of involved up there with that, and 
some of those who are really in the know seem to think or seem, you know, that they claim that it actually came uh, to Eugene from Florida. So basically we're still backtracking that one, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and I almost wonder if it's not just one of those old hash plants that were popular in the early nineties out of Florida because hash plant, you know, it, it had a heyday back, back in the early, you know, late, late eighties, early nineties in yeah. Florida. So I'm, I'm just wondering if, you know, and, and, you know, I never, I never pretend like humble or where I'm from is the source of, you know, everything wonderful. I think there's so many hot pockets everywhere. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, whatever quality genetics and where they came from, you know, I'm, I'm not blind to, you know, oh, you know, we're the best. Right on, right on. And that's also, you know, and <clears throat> I'm going to make a judgment, but I also would guess that that's one of the reasons why, you know, you tend to be, you know, one of the more polite and play nice with everybody breeders out there because you want to have relationships with these other pockets around the country and you don't get access to other people's networks by being an asshole. Right, right. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. So, so <clears throat> the reason why I asked about the Humboldt snow as it was, was to, as an example was because you, you've done a lot of crosses with the Humboldt snow. And mm-hmm. so, um, and I also know that you are hella choosy with what you're going to cross with. So what right. was it about the expressions of Humboldt snow, um, that you saw that made you want to, to, to make it a, uh, a major player, you know, in your lines for a couple of years. And the reason why I'm asking to kind of inform your answer is <clears throat> there are people who are listening who are going to want to, who want to do this. Right. And mm-hmm. so, so they, they may model their decision-making process uh, kind of on how you thought through the challenge as well. So, so kind of tell us a little bit about um, how you decided to choose that particular chemovar. You know, honestly, um, it probably has to do with, I've just had it for so long I mean, when I got it back in 1999, um, we we actually traded uh, the this this cat, uh, our, our our pretty much uh, this cut called Uriah. It was it was a it was an inherited cut from my dad, and we traded Uriah for the snow. And the very first time I ran the snow out, um, it only ended up being like I don't know six inches tall or something, and it produced. <laughs> produced four grams but it was the whitest stuff i'd ever seen at the time i mean it was and we actually got it a snow cap and it looked like a little snow cap mountain you know um but you know anyways um the 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 last time i grew it uh uh like a full light of it I, i think i did like two and three quarter pounds from a bed so its yields are definitely you know have potential (laughs) over that four gram initial <laughs> trial run. <laughs> but um, I, I uh, just really learned how to grow it really well um, back in the early 2000s. And just growing that cut taught me a lot. Um, I grew a lot of it indoors and then I grew a lot more of it outdoors. And it, it was just, you know, a really solid, you know, quality plant. Um, high potency, you know, great bag, bag appeal. Um, just a hashy kind of, a old school, a little bit of pine, a little bit of, you know, um, this and that, but a little bit of pepper, I think. But, uh, 
just just kind of an old school, you know, solid plant. One and of, uh, <clears throat> one of the things that that's interesting that that you pulled out because I thought you were just going to go for uh, you know typical variables like uh, you know I liked the chirping profile and the structure and the yield you know just your basic stuff but you went mm-hmm. right to I had a relationship with that plant yeah and yeah, I'm like yeah. oh wow that's a different idea you're like you're like I know her I know how to grow her I can do a successful run with her and also you know she's she's very resinous right and yeah, and then yeah. and then and then you eventually is also a good yielder too um i like that idea too because that that's a really different kind of growing than what we're seeing commercially right now where people are just hitting lines with with their male of the day right yeah right. then again you know very few people are are sitting on mother's you know cuts from 15 years ago either so <laughs> yeah yeah, that, yeah that's one of the advantages you have you know not only living where you live in the emerald triangle but also having a lineage like you do where you know multiple generations of your family have been growing there for for ages that's a that's a pretty good network for for attracting genetics your way oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. and you know honestly uh um you know i got i got into the whole uh you know, internet forums and everything, you know, in the early 2000s. And that, you know, really, you know, helped to create access to, you know, a lot of really high quality, you know, fellow growers and breeders and aficionados of just cannabis in general. Yeah, right. I mean, bless the internet. I mean, for all the things uh, that it annoys us um, uh, today, um, everybody being able to get into contact with each other and connect and share genetics, photos, and, you know, education. God, I mean, it was, it changed everything, right? Right. Right. So, all right, cool. Well, let's go ahead and take our second commercial break. When we come back, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, uh, the naming of your your strains because (laughs) your your names your your, the names you choose are great. So, uh, you are listening to Shaping Fire. We're going to take a short break. My uh, guest today is Caleb Inspecta from CSI Humble. Did you know that Shaping Fire has a fabulous YouTube channel with content not found on the podcast? When I attend conventions or speak or moderate panels, I always record them and bring the content home for you to watch. The Shango Los YouTube channel has world-class speakers, including Kevin Jodry of Wonderland Nursery, talking about breeding cannabis for the best terpene profile. Nicholas Mahmood on regenerative and polyculture cannabis growing. Dr. Sunil Agarwal on the history of cannabis medicine around the world. Ben Cassidy of True Terpenes on using terpenes for health in your everyday life. Reggie Godino of Steep Hill on the cannabis genome. And Jeff Lowenfels on the soil food web. There are several presentations from Dr. Ethan Russo on terpenes and the endocannabinoid system. And even my own presentation on how to approach finding your dream job in cannabis and why we choose cannabis business even though the risks are so high. As of today, there are over 100 videos that you can check out for absolutely free. Go to youtube.com forward slash Shango or click on the link in this week's newsletter. Now that the health benefits of terpenes have become well known in the cannabis industry, people everywhere are looking for the purest terpenes and custom terpene blends. True terpenes, isolated terpenes and terpene blends are tested to the most demanding worldwide safety and stability standards. Terpenes from True Terpenes are third-party tested, non-GMO, and food grade. 
They're triple distilled, making them the purest terpenes available in the world. With over a thousand terpene isolates, strain profiles, and terp flavors, you can be sure that True Terpenes will have the perfect aromatics for your manufacturing goals. True Terpenes also offers custom blending so that you can match your company's marquee strains across all your product categories. While you can certainly simply just order terpenes and go right to manufacturing, True Terpenes also offers a wealth of manufacturing insight, best practices, and a willingness to help you break new ground with your product formulations. True Terpenes has robust and supportive customer service too, so your questions will get answered fast and efficiently. If you've shopped for terps before, you know how rare that is. If you are a cannabis product developer, these are the terps that you want to add to your oil or edible or capsule or beverage. True terpenes are simply the best your money can buy. Don't try and make a premium product with substandard terps. Choose true terpenes for a top shelf experience. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash true terpenes to find out more or click on the link in this week's newsletter. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Los, and our guest this week is Caleb Inspecta from CSI Humboldt. So, Caleb, you know, one of the things I enjoy about your packs is um, is the, the, the names that you uh, choose. And, you know, a lot of people in the modern, more commercial market are just um, taking names that have nothing to do with the lineage, right? They're just, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll make A and they'll cross it to B instead of the, the final name being AB, they're like, it's called L now. And you're like, all right, well, I can tell nothing about the, the, about the, the, the strain based on the name. And, you know, I've always thought that's one of the cool things is that it's, it's like a, um, it's like a verbal puzzle, right? It's like, okay, mm-hmm. what, what in this name conjures other, um, you know, other Kimbars, like, you know, the word, the, you know, blue or dream, right? You know, like you can, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the, in the early blue dream cross days, like you could tell where it came from and, mm-hmm. and, and there is a certain artistry in naming those things because, you know, very often the 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 strain names don't naturally fit together easy. They're they're pretty unrelated, and so you have to kind of come up with a poetic way to put those together. And I think that's great. And a lot of the scene is moving away from it. And and so many of your Kimavar names are so playful. I think that you must enjoy doing that. Well, like, what's your story on how you name your strains? Oh, I got to give credit where, you know, credit's due. I mean, my, my names early on, eh, they were okay, but they weren't nothing special. Um, but when I started doing name games on Instagram, um, I, I would, you know, I'll have a thousand people chiming in, you know, with just to name one single strain. And you get so much just you know, so many options and just all kinds of clever names. I mean, that's the Instagram community is, is where all, all of my best names come from. And by having, by having contests, it allows people to, you know, participate and, you know, um, uh, I, I think it's win-win for me, win-win for them. And, you know, everybody who, uh, you know, ends up winning, you know, the, the contest, you know, gets the very first free, you know, free seeds of whatever they name. And, and it's also as somebody who loves to read those threads, uh, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just fun to read, you know, 
like 300 people's ideas, even if they're not going to be the one, you know, right. it's a, it's usually a whole bunch of fun and a lot of laughs. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's great. And you know, the, the way I do it is, you know, I'll, I'll break it down. I'll, 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 I'll write out, you know, my 20 favorites out of the, out of the, you know, the thousand or whatever. And then, you know, I'll have those written down and I always, you know, have whoever suggested it, you know, at that time, you know, and sometimes I'll go back and I'm like, you know, even if I'm not having a competition, I'll go back and, you know, I still love this name. Ooh, I could use it for this. Mm -hmm. And so I hit that person up and I'm like, Hey, you know, um, I'm going to use your name for this. You want free packs of this? And, you know, I haven't had anybody. Yeah. The answer is always yes. (laughs) Nobody's been disappointed, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun for everybody. It's a lot of fun for me and, you know, uh, and it also, you know, really takes a lot of, uh, you know, weight off of you to come up and be like uber right. brilliant. So like, so like for, for some, some of your, um, some of your strains, uh, I'm just going to pick three that I particularly like on your stuff that you put out for, for this summer. So like, so one of my favorite named is the mozzarella, right? And, and (laughs) that, and that's UK cheese and chem dog 91. And I'm, and it's like, like how much fun is that? Right. That like, that's cool. And then, um, and then uh, girl's best friend is also, Uh I thought pretty creative. So that's girl scout cookies and chem dog 91. And there's so much poetry in that girl's best friend. It's her dog, girl scout cookies. And it just feels, you know, it feels good, right? It, it does. It does. I like it. And then, and then one that I'm excited to grow this summer. Uh, I, I've always wanted to grow the Big Sur Holyweed, and and mm-hmm. and have never had access to the genetics. But then you put out Sacred Snow, which is the uh-huh. Big Sur Holyweed crossed with the Humboldt Snow. And so I don't know what she's like yet, but um, it's 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 not only cool to be able to play with something that's part Big Sur Holyweed, but mm-hmm. I like the fact that you chose a name that that really focused on the the Holyweed Sacred Snow. Kind kind of Baja, you know, yeah. vibe where it came from. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, um, that, that, that's one of the things, uh, you know, I really appreciate when people um, go for, because not a whole lot of people, you know, g- get like the Big Sur Holyweed hybrids. They, it's not popular. People, most people don't care. But every time I run out a Big Sur Holyweed hybrid, they're the fucking best, excuse my language, they're the best <laughs> plants in the room, you know? I mean, it, it produces some of the nicest plants. It doesn't matter the hybrid. The the, the sacred snow, they were amazing. Uh, the chem dog, you know, times uh, Big Sur Holyweed, I don't even think I've even released those ones yet. But those things were beasts, you know? Um, it, it's just, it's one of those things, though, that, it, it's some of the most impressive plants and just, you know, gorgeous overall plants. And yet, you know, uh, something popular is just going to outsell it, you know, a thousand to one. For sure. I mean, like you, you really have to come across uh, some of the the lineage stories, right? Written in a magazine about Big Sur Holyweed or like, like I didn't even get turned on to it from cannabis. I got turned on to it um, by listening to a, an interview with a poet from the Big Sur region talking about right. it. And I'm like, my God, I'm learning about a, you know, a new strain from a poet at a college. <laughs> and so I went backtracked and I, and I found out about it. But um, <clears throat> because it's not a trending thing, 
Um, mm-hmm. You're right. It's going to get outsold all the time, but but clearly you've got a depth of experience and you're clearly excited about it, and which just makes me more excited to grow it this summer. I'm actually concerned, though, because... Um, you know, I think it's going to go longer than the first or second week of October, mm. and which means that it's going to have to be in a in a tent where I live in on Vashon Island in Washington because we get the rains here. And everything yeah. I've heard about it is that she's tall. She's a big plant, uh, and she's, she's just a big plant. She's just going to crush my you know you know my seven eight foot ceilings on my on a, on a basic tent. Mm. So I'm gonna yeah. have to figure out something special for her for this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's a plant and plant for every place. Um, she'll be a big one. Yeah. Well, that's well, that's one of the reasons why I've been so hot on autoflowers recently. Not only do right. I like them because you know I'm always selecting for patients, right? Helping them like get their right. their home grows up, but also uh, you don't have to worry about them growing into the lights. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no. that. I, I've I've never personally played with autoflowers, um, but my buddy Hybe. Um, he, uh, he, he's been breeding autoflowers for, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. And, uh, I'm actually, uh, going to be, uh, selling, uh, his, his autoflower seeds on my Humboldt CSI site here pretty soon. Um, but, uh, I, I definitely see the value and I will never hate on an autoflower because, you know, just, just like we said, you know, a time and a place for all, all the plants. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, if we're gonna if we're gonna do that, let's let let's hit on your your Australian bastard. So <laughs> so it's it's funny. Uh, it actually where was I recently that it came up? Um, oh, that's right. It was at the regenerative uh, agriculture conference that uh, Joshua Rutherford uh, Dutch Blooms took across the country. I was mm-hmm. in Michigan, and they put up. Wait a minute. No, that's not where it was. Sorry. It was it was just a couple weeks ago. It was uh Jeff Lowenfels. Uh mm, the mm. Pi- the picture that you put on Instagram of the Australian bastard. He right. he's got in his um in his slides to as an example of the wide-ranging variety that the cannabis plant has that we haven't even accessed yet. Oh, I I, I like Jeff. He he stopped by at the Emerald Cup and sat down for a good probably half hour just amazed at that Australian bastard he was like wow <laughs> so yeah well he he I, he remains excited about it <laughs> yeah no I, I i definitely love his enthusiasm he's a, he's a good intelligent uh, fellow, that's for damn sure. Yeah, I think I think that uh, between this summer and next summer, it's going to be the the real coming to prominence of autoflowers. I mean, certainly the quality of the seeds have gotten a lot better recently, uh, but also you know uh, Jeff Lowenfels has got his uh, book on autoflowers coming out in October, nice. and and um, and and I you know I personally got turned on to him, so I have done like a whole year of autoflower content, like. You know, I'm inter- I, I, I'm interviewing. Well, I just had Jeff here on Vashon Island to do an autoflower presentation, and then I'm doing an autoflower panel at uh, Cultivation Classic in Portland. But you know, I'm all like, well, if this, if this is what everybody's going to want to learn about, let's try to get them good information to start instead of have to unteach all the rumor that usually comes with something new, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's circle back around to names. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this. And, um, so, you know, 
there's a lot of people, usually kind of green rusher new business types, who uh, uh, advocate for the for the simplifying of of strain names. They they're all like, you know, you need to know too much history to 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 to, to know these names and to unpack them. And you know, I understand how people new to seeds and breeding and purchasing cannabis, they want to simplify it so that they can kind of dumb it down so they can sell the most to the most people. But Mm -hmm. I personally think that feels like some culture vulture shit because, you know, I think one of the beautiful things about cannabis culture is the creation of these names, whether or not you're making them at your home or you're getting them from like wonderful crowd, um, crowd, uh, uh, crowdsourcing, you know, on Instagram. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's a really important aspect that we need to aggressively preserve in our culture. What do you think? Oh, um, I I agree. I mean, there's definitely pros and cons to the whole name game. Um, you know, I mean, the names have definitely gotten a little out of hand. But then on the flip side, I mean, you 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 really can't. Um, just keep calling something, you know, especially generation after generation after generation, blank times, blank times, blank times, blank times, blank. If you use just the original strain names, that's going to end up, you know, getting a little long. So yeah, you need original, you know, unique names to describe and define. And I, I like how you put it, you know, where, uh, a lot of these names don't have anything to do with, you know, the plants they're trying to describe. I think that's almost imperative um, that the name has something to do with the genetics it comes from. Yeah. I mean, personally, I think, I think so. I think it helps everybody involved, the, the consumer, the breeder, and, and certainly it's a, you know, it's just a valuable thing of our scene, right? It's another way for Mm -hmm. us to express ourselves. And, and certainly there, you know, some names can get us in trouble, like, you know, you know, like Gorilla Glue and Girl Scout cookies (laughs) specifically. I mean, it's dumb that that stuff ended up getting litigated, but, but, you know, all of us in the scene need to be aware of that. And then, you know, even, even you have got some, uh, strange names that, you know, will probably never become popularized in magazines simply because it's called coked out Girl Scout, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, when I, when I, you know, so that's Girl Scout cookies and Humboldt snow. When I first right. saw that, I just started howling, right? Cause it, right. it's funny. It's an inside joke, but, but you know, you're not going to hear coked out Girl Scout in any crossover magazines. And, and, and just, just for the record, um, <laughs> just for the record, um, I don't use any drugs whatsoever except for cannabis. Maybe an Advil once in a great while, but that's it. <laughs> right. On. I guess I, I guess that's good to clarify. <laughs> I, I, I just like the name. And, you know, that, that name itself is a perfect example because there's a lot of people who are like, oh, that's terrible. You named it that. I'm like, you know what? Have a little bit of sense of humor and don't take it so serious, and it's all right. And no, it's not going to be on the magazine. It's not going to be on the dispensary shelf. Girl's Best Friend, that was named so it can end up on a dispensary shelf. Coked Out Girl Scout, hey, that's just for fun right there. Yeah, right on. And, you know, and and, and even though it's uh... – you know, it's a it's a bold title. It still actually fits the cross, right? Girl Scout cookies right. and Humboldt Snow. It's it fits. 
It does. So it right does. on. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, I think that's probably enough on naming. I, I, I love that, that whole topic though. So, um, all right. So next question, um, as far as, you know, a lot of people say that you should not breed with a feminized, uh, a mother from a feminized seed. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, complete nonsense. And oh. I'll shut those people down every single time. I'm like, if you breed with a sour diesel, a chem dog, an OG Kush, an X, a Y, or a Z, you're already breeding with a feminized seed. So if you want to breed with anything popular, and I'm including Girl Scout cookies, cherry pies, this, that, the other, everything that stems from any of those, if you're going to sit on that high horse and be like, <laughs> oh, you can't do that, I'm like, yeah, well, you can't do that. So where are you? what are you breeding with? <laughs> and 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 I already I already hit the whole land race thing where you don't know what exactly those seeds are that you're 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 growing. So uh, yeah, <laughs> right on, right on, good, good. Um, so um, uh, just a, just a couple more things before we wrap up here. You know, mm -hmm. um, for for folks who are um, long time multi generational growers probably everywhere, but I, I've run into it most in the Emerald Triangle area. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's said sometimes by by longtime growers that certain strains that they've got are kept close and not shared. And mm -hmm. I was just curious, as somebody who did not grow up in Humboldt, I can only guess why those are not shared. Um, and so, you know, so, you know, they, they don't want it to get in the hands and be belittled by pollen chuckers, maybe, or maybe it's like a family secret special sauce for their, for their seeds. Like, but, but you live there and you grew up and you probably have some of these. So, so what, what do locals, what, what's the motivation that locals have to hold cuts close and not share them? Well, it, it's easy economics. I mean, supply and demand, if the supply is small, you know, I mean, you know, you're going to fetch it, you know, a, a, a high dollar. So it, it's, it's essentially always been about the money on that tip. Um, that's the only reason really to hoard anything, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, when everybody has it, um, a perfect example is say, uh, a, a purple Urkel. When I first got purple Urkel back around 2001, 2002, um, not a whole lot of people had it, you know, and the people who had it were, you know, if you, if you were, you know, you had that trust and everything, they'd be like, you know, here, have a cut but don't go giving it out to, you know, a bunch of people, you know, fast forward, you know, four or five years from there, you know, it essentially, or it eventually, uh, got out and, you know, got popular. Tons of people had it and, you know, then the price started dropping on it. And, um, a lot of people, you know, aren't really quality growers. They don't really have a love for their craft and they're just trying to pump out something with a name and not giving two shits, yeah. you know? And so, you know, they water down for everybody else and eventually, you know, but, you know, if, if you hold something tight and you keep it tight, you know, there, that demand is never going to ebb, you know? Yeah, yeah, and you can put it out itself. You can do crosses with it, and mm -hmm. and so you know it. It may not be the level of popular that something gets to be when everybody's growing it for a little while, but right. you essentially have got 
you know, a monopoly on that, on that intellectual property, if you will. And it's something right. that, and you know, I would say that we're probably in that arc right now with uh capulators Mac one, right. Where, <laughs> where, you know, uh, at, at the beginning people lost their freaking minds and, <laughs> and, you know, uh, it, it, it was, you know, barely available and you know, just through like whispers and friends around, you know, the, where you near where you live. And then like the first flowers, you know, were like wildly overpriced in the market. Um, but now we've got to the point now much later that, that, you know, the lot, lots of people have got the cut, gotten the cut one way or another, uh-huh. probably by, by breaking caps, uh, rules around rules. it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and now every, you know, everybody's hitting it with their, you know, hitting it with everything. And so, you know, right. we are probably on the far side of that arc, which is why, you know, even probably Cap himself, you know, he's moved on to his his next projects and his crosses with it. And, right. But um, it's interesting, though, that to watch that that arc from nobody's got it and it's a rumor and then there's just pictures and then and then it becomes kind of available at an insane price and then it kind of gets washed out. You you know you bring up a a a, a, a perfect uh, a, a example too, um, so uh, I get asked you know from time to time, um, you know, um, friends friends of mine are like we got to hold this tight you know, um, we can't let it get out you know blah 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 when people get it you know then it won't be worth nothing I'm like why are we worried about that I mean you know. I'm working on 10 projects that are probably going to be better than that, you know, in a year or two, you know? And so, you know, it, I think it's, it's fear-based. Um, you know, pe- people get stuck with, you know, thinking, Oh, they only have one little thing of value and they got to hold that tight. I'm like, man, I got so many things of value. I don't even care. Right. It's a, the people acting on a scarcity mentality, Right. Yeah. And right. and honestly, that's how I feel about popping my seeds. Like I have lots of respect for people who collect seeds. I get it. It's a, it's a, it's a thing. And right. I'm not really a seed collector. I like to get my hands on good seeds and then I grow them, you know, <laughs> that's the point. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, certainly, you know, people who are breeding, they want to sit on stock for, you know, they're, they're building their palette of colors for a future breeding program. Right. right. But, right. but, but since that's not my shtick, I just like to grow plants. I'm all like, well, hell I'm going to, uh, well, like even your seeds, you know, that are, that are sitting in front of me. I'm looking forward to popping all this stuff this summer. And, right. and because you know what, you're going to, you're going to put more stuff in the market next year. You know, and so, you know, um, so long as there are people like you who are doing the work uh, of of selecting and sifting so I don't have to, um, I don't have to do that myself. And there's certainly no question that that you're going to keep on, you know, putting out quality things. So so there's no reason to have that scarcity mentality. If you got seeds, pop them and grow them. Oh, absolutely. My 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 boy is uh, underrated and Garth Cultivator. Uh, they got this new rap album coming out this weekend. Um, they have a track on there called Grow Your Own. It's my absolute favorite track on the whole album. Um, if you like rap, you know, it's cool. If you don't, no is, big deal. Is that the one that you posted uh, snippets of on your Instagram? Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. a good track. And actually, the video is pretty fun, too. It's it's got, it's got right. stylishly done, and it's all in the freaking Redwoods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually just out yesterday uh, with a Big Schmo and – uh, Garth Cultivator, underrated. Eddie Lepp was even there. Oh you wow! Know, <laughs> shoot, shooting their latest video, um, and uh, um, I mean, 
that that grow your own track they haven't you know released that yet um but it's on the album i mean that is my favorite track of the album because that's 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 what i like to see i like to see people just grow in their own you know i mean and you know that's that's the whole you know uh message of that of that track i think they teamed up with mendo dope on that track too so you know yeah, well, we're big fans here. Everybody, you know, liberating the plant, everybody becoming a gardener, you know, it's like, Hell yeah. you know, uh, uh, there, there, there's a lot of truth to it, you know, like there's no yeah. reason why everybody shouldn't have a few plants in their yard every summer. It's super yeah. easy to grow. The sunshine is free. It gives you an emotional connection to the plant. You know, n- nothing tastes as good and as emotionally as awesome as the stuff that you grew yourself um, right. versus the, you know, the stuff that you're going to pick up at a dispensary and uh and that doesn't mean that it's gonna hurt the cannabis market either because like you know i grow my patient grow and then i also go to the store it's both it's like tomatoes right i grow tomatoes every store i grow tomatoes every summer but you also know i'm buying them at the store too oh yeah well and and that's 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 a perfect one too though um that's the whole reason people ask uh a lot on instagram like what's the point of you know, growing or working with this Australian bastard cannabis. And j- just to, you mentioned earlier, you said, you know, your Australian bastard cannabis, it's not mine. Um, the kid who sourced it, um, uh, you know, painted forest farms, painted forest organics, um, that is his. And I'm just working with him just to clarify that. Fair but, enough. Yeah. But, but the Australian bastard cannabis, it is something that, people will not recognize as cannabis. Whoa. So you can grow it in your backyard. You can grow it, you know. Now, the way it is right now, it, it's unrefined. It, it, it's, it's like uh, the ruderalis that created the, you know, autoflowers before it got hybridized and, you know, bred for quality. So it is in its bare bones building blocks. And we're giving people the opportunity to breed it themselves or to, you know, work from the starting point of quality hybrids to breed it. So when, In, when you say that it's not recognizable, clearly the plant itself visually does not look like cannabis. It looks like a fern or something. It's weird. But, yeah. but, but you've had the flower, I'm assuming, at this point. When you, do, the, do the flowers look like cannabis oh, nuts? Yeah. Do they, all right, yeah. so, so when you, if you got a bag of it, you'd be like, okay, this is weed, even though the plant yeah. does not look like it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Everybody recognizes weed or cannabis by its leaf, you know? Yeah. I mean – if it doesn't have that cannabis leaf, whether it's an indica leaf or a sativa leaf, it does not look like cannabis. You can walk by a fully flowered out plant of Australian bastard and be like, oh, that kind of looks like, nah, it don't have the leaf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looks like a shrub, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a really yeah. strange plant. So right on. Well, on that on that fun note, let's wrap it up. So uh, Caleb, it's been a real joy to talk to you, uh, to, to be able to chat with you about this and to, you know, really, uh, you know, break down feminized seeds for people to kind of get everybody on the same page and also to be able to enjoy uh, a whole bunch of your uh, stories from being down in the trenches and doing this for so long. So, th- so thanks for sharing uh, some of your valuable time with us so that we could get to know you know, you and feminist, feminized seeds better. 
It's been a pleasure. Right on. Thank you, brother. So if you want to uh, find out more about CSI Humboldt and Caleb, uh, there's a couple different ways that you can do that. Uh, I definitely recommend that you follow his Instagram. Uh, it is uh, enjoyable and educational at the same time. Um, so so um, his Instagram is CSI underscore Humboldt. And don't get confused. There is another old uh, CSI Humboldt Instagram profile that comes up, but you don't want the one with hardly any followers. His his the one that he keeps updated is is you know two hundred thousand followers or more, and uh, you want to follow that because um, you'll be able to watch the progress of this Australian bastard plant as well, which you can see pictures of there. Now, <clears throat> if you want to get yourself get your hands on some of Caleb's seeds. Um, you want to go through his distribution website and that's, you flip the name around. That's at, uh, Humboldt CSI. So he, you know, he, he breeds as CSI Humboldt, but the distributor is called Humboldt CSI. So that's at HumboldtCSI.com. And, uh, that's got not only his, uh, feminized lines, but also his reg lines and probably eventually the Australian bastard lines and, and your buddy Hybes autoflowers are going to be there soon. So, mm-hmm. so, uh, so definitely check out HumboldtCSI.com. And the last thing is actually how I got, uh, uh, turned on to Caleb, which is um, a great interview that Kevin Jodry did with him at the Wonderland Nursery Seed Series um, uh, back, I don't know, maybe two years ago. Uh, it was actually the first thing that Shaping Fire sponsored, the first event that we sponsored. So that was pretty cool. And uh, 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 you can find links to all that stuff on the shapingfire.com website. Uh, so check that all out. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news and product reviews. On the Shaping Fire website, you will also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. For information on me and where I'll be speaking, you can check out shangolos.com. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Lose. <laughs>